Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. A big thank you to everyone who has already participated in our Meeting the Mission Million Dollar Match. Friends, please know that the amount you give is not what we focus on. What's important is that you participate, that you stand with Watchmen on the Wall and Southwest Radio Ministries. Everyone doing something is how we'll be able to meet the goal. Please participate. Stand with us. Your gift is needed today. Call 1-800-652-1144 and stand with SWRC. Or you can give at our website, supportswrc.com. That's supportswrc.com. Thank you for helping us meet the mission. Our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, welcomes author David Bassett back to the program to continue their discussion on the scriptural universe model. We are going to continue our previous interview uh, with David Bassett. David, thank you for being back with us on the show. My pleasure. Thank you, Pastor Larry, for having me. Explain for us the Genesis 1-1 heaven and the Genesis 1-2 waters being, I think you call them the raw materials of the universe in the form of ionized plasma, which constitutes nearly 100% of our universe today. Tell us how that fits together and what does that mean? The components of creation were actually brought into existence in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We have time in the beginning, we have space, the heaven, and we have matter, the earth, all listed right there, all brought into to existence simultaneously. And the two main entities are the heaven and the earth. That's what basically the chapter is going to be about. We see the word time there in the, in the very first verse, very first word, being fronted. And what that means is the Hebrew order is basically changed to emphasize the origin of time, the absolute origin of time. And then we mentioned the heaven, which is the Hebrew word shamayim, shamayim. Mm-hmm. Many scholars, including an 11th century rabbi, Rashi, who's extremely famous in the Hebrew literature, believe that with different vowel points, that word can actually be translated as fire in waters. Mm. The Hebrew word esh and the Hebrew word mayim being linked together. Fire waters would be a perfect description of what scientists today call ionized plasma. Fire itself is a type of plasma. If it's in a fluid type of nature, fire and waters is a perfect Hebrew description of that state of matter. So plasma would not be necessarily the fourth state of matter, as we teach in the textbooks, after solid, liquid, and gas. It would actually be the first state of matter. Mm. And then the earth itself is is listed. And then we go into Genesis 1-2, where it talks about the face of the waters and the face of the deep. And it seems like that's paralleling heaven and earth of verse 1. That would mean, though, that the face of the waters and the face of the deep are two different boundaries for two different entities. The deep, the Hebrew word to home, it always refers to liquid water. Mm. And this would, I think, associate with earth. Earth would be brought into existence as a, just a, a mass of liquid water, not necessarily spherical at the beginning, but a mass of liquid water. And then the heaven would be the fire and waters, the plasma, which, as you said, and as plasma cosmologists indicate, is nearly 100%. There's some, some quotations in the book that say 99.9999% plasma is today's universe. 
So it makes sense that the scriptures somewhere identify the substance of the universe as plasma, and I think they do that with the word heaven, shamayim, being translated as fire and waters. That insight, that can only be from the divine mind. I mean, Moses didn't really understand that when he penned Genesis 1, but it's there because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, who was the eternal third person of the Godhead. And here we see the wisdom and the truth of God right there in the Bible. Now, what about the boundaries? I mean, the resulting supercontinent giving boundary to the adjacent seas. And I'm thinking, what about the Pangaea, the supercontinent? When did it divide? Can we explain the division with maybe plate tectonics or is that evolutionary? Now we're jumping to day three, Genesis 1, 9b and 10a. God's calling forth the dry land to appear. There's difference of opinion within the church on this. Some believe that the dry land components were actually submerged underwater and actually rose up to break the water surface and to show themselves visible during that time period. I don't believe that's what the scripture is indicating there. Mm. Second, um, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 5, the latter half of that verse says, The earth was formed out of water and by water. And so that, to me, indicates that the solid nature of the earth, the rocky nature of the earth, came directly from water. And we call that process aquonucleosynthesis. Basically, it just means that water will be transmutated into the elements, the minerals needed to make the granite subcontinent, the basement complex, the lowest rocks of the earth's crust there on day three. Those are the creation-weak rocks. There's an order to this. Basically, that supercontinent is going to be built on top of water because we started with the embryonic earth, the deep, the home right. mm-hmm. of day one, day two. We don't get dry land until day three. Right. And scriptures are very clear. Psalm 24, verse 2 says, It was founded upon the floods and upon the seas. If the crust, well, and that word crust is an evolutionary kind of word, is actually founded upon water. The earth doesn't start off. As a, in a heat origin, as a ball of plasma itself, as the evolutionists teach, uh, it actually starts off as water, and then part of that water is changed into rock. The other, and of course, some of the water is left as the seas of the antediluvian earth. You write about the rakia, the firmaments, the pre-flood cosmos, separated one from the other by, you call it a transparent, crystalline construct acting as solid dividers between them, all five being considered firmament. So so the firmament is a multiplicity of, of layers? Is that what you're saying in the book? If you do a word study on the word firmament from the King James Version, which comes from the Latin word firmamentum, you find that the in the Strong's Concordance, the word is rakia. It comes mm-hmm. from a Hebrew verb, rakah, to pound or to overlay with thin metal sheets. It's basically a thin solid. There. there are 17 occurrences in the Word of God in the Old Testament of the word rakia. They're in four different books, Genesis, Psalms, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And if you take them all in context, and it looks as though there are five different firmaments. Wow. And there are two types of firmament. Basically, a rakia is a spread-out dimness. That's all it is. It's just a spread-out dimness and expanse of some sort. You can have a spread-out dimness in terms of density, and those would be called heavens, and Scripture indicates in 2 Corinthians 12, 2, that there are three heavens. 
But in order to have three heavens, you have to have dividers between those heavens. Right. How do you mm-hmm. keep one from merging into another heaven? Where does one start and the other and, and one end? The clue for that is in Exodus 24.10, there's mention in Ezekiel 1.22-26, Revelation 4.6, and Revelation 15.2 mention a crystalline construct that separates third heaven from second heaven. Exodus 24.10, Moses, again in association with the tabernacle, saw a paved work like sapphire under God's throne. Ezekiel chapter 1, 22-26 mentions a, a crystalline firmament that's above the cherubim, but it's actually the foundation of God's throne. Mm. And then we see that same thing in Ezekiel 10, verse 1. It says that the throne is actually in this firmament, this, this solid firmament that's like sapphire crystal. In Revelation chapter 4, we have this, this glassy sea, the sea of glass that's around the throne. In chapter 4, we see that the tribulation saints are actually standing on it in Revelation right. 15, verse mm-hmm. 2. And so if there's a crystalline construct between third heaven and second heaven, there was probably one between second heaven and first heaven. And this is where Dr. Baugh comes in again. His fantastic book on the crystalline canopies probably the best resource if you're interested to know about the solid divider between first heaven and second heaven, between Earth's atmosphere and outer space. The Crystalline Canopy, the book, is the book to get. So we do see this triple-tier template again. We see three spaces divided by two solid boundaries. So this would create a kind of a greenhouse effect that would perhaps contribute to the uniformity of the temperatures worldwide, whether in Central America or the North Pole or the South Pole, uh, perhaps contributing to the longevity of early man. And from what you're telling me, I could see this is this is more than just a little water. This is very complex, and I could see how that would produce such longevity. It seems to make even more sense than what I originally believed. Yeah, the solid canopy, relatively speaking, would have been fairly thin. It would have been transparent because Adam's got to be able to see the sun, moon, and stars, signs and perceptions there. It would be placed above the atmosphere, and it would actually probably contribute to higher atmospheric pressure before the flood. We know that there was greater oxygen content before the flood. We, We know that because of the atmosphere preserved in bubbles within amber, fossilized tree sap, you know that the magnetic field was stronger. The Creation Evidence Museum of Texas is going to be using these different variables and trying to simulate a pre-flood atmosphere within their hyperbaric chamber. Uh, we're hoping that's, that happens this year. But, yes, it would have contributed to the longevity, the 912-year average human lifespan mentioned mm-hmm. in Genesis wow. Chapter 5. There would have been probably uniform temperatures, you said, from pole to pole. There would not have been the ice caps our continental glaciers before the flood. There would not have been any sandy deserts before the flood. Dr. Ball's book mentions the temperature probably was ranging from 72 to 78 degrees, which is extremely comfortable. There, there was a mist system, which watered the face of the ground. We didn't have the hydrologic water cycle that we do today. You mentioned earlier when you talked about the supercontinent. I personally believe that breakup took place during the flood. And yes, not just plate tectonics, but catastrophic plate tectonics Hmm. would have been responsible for breaking the supercontinent up into the seven continents we have today. Wow. Well, David, I'm, I'm really impressed. You've done a fantastic job. And friends, David Bassett is our guest. 
He is the author of the Scriptural Universe Model, A Christian Commentary on Creation's Construction. This is a fantastic book. You will want a copy of this. You cannot understand everything from just the radio program. And the author presents a young earth creation model that is both comprehensive and chronological, and it's easy to follow once you understand the principles. David delves into the role of the triune Godhead in the creation of a created cosmos that is itself a trinity of trinities, a universe that is a continuum of the true trinities of time, space, and matter. Tremendous book. I want to heartily endorse it. Give us a call for your own copy of this book. You will love it. Your children, if they're in college, high school, studying science, they will love this book. It's amazing what we find in the Bible, and I really believe that. So give us a call, 1-800-652-1144. The author is David Bassett, and the book is The Scriptural Universe Model, 1-800-652-1144. Now, David, let's delve into this thing about the uppermost crystalline construct. You say it still exists today as the waters that are above the heavens that serve as the foundation of God's throne. And you give several scriptures that describe the, you call it the thronal expanse. I looked at those scriptures. I've never seen them before because I hadn't read your book. But tell us all about this. The term thronal expanse is basically a reference to the solid firmament that separates third heaven from second heaven. It is the paved work that Moses saw. In Exodus 24, verse 10, it's mentioned there in Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 1, and as I mentioned earlier, Revelation chapter 4, verse 6, and 15, verse 2. Psalm 104, verse 3, talks about God laying beams in the waters yes. in his chambers there. The chambers would be the three heavens. The beams would be the crystalline constructs that divide one heaven from the other. This is the uppermost beam there, and it's being laid down. And this is also mentioned in Job chapter 26, verses 8 and 9 there. It's the sea of glass, the waters above the firmament there. Firmament being, of course, second heaven. So, yes, Psalm 148, verse 4 mentions that the heaven of heavens and the waters that be above the heavens. And this is what basically gave me a clue, and Dr. Ball also, of a firmament between second heaven and first heaven. So Ezekiel 10.1 talks about it being God's throne being anchored in this firmament. This firmament is above the head of the cherubim. It actually is the four living creatures of Revelation 4 around about the throne on top of this firmament. And then, of course, the seraphim of Isaiah chapter 6 are above the throne. So we have three winged angels all centered on the throne, but the throne itself is underlaid by the thronal expanse. What about the top-down order of cosmic construction together with, you've got Job 38, 4 through 7, Psalm 104, 2 to 5, and Isaiah 44, 24b. Reveal the boundary events surrounding the origin of angels, thus allowing the pinpointing of the specific day of their creation, Ezekiel 28, 13, and 15. Please explain that to us. When you start looking at the construction of the creation as a top-down, you see that there's the stretching of the heavens. There's the stretching of the north, Job chapter 26, verse 7, which is third heaven on day one. There's the stretching of the waters below the firmament from the waters above on day two, which is the second, second heaven, the outer space firmament. And then you see 
the plasmic water is moving from the earth upward to the one place mentioned in Genesis 1-9. This forms the open space of Earth's atmosphere, which is first heaven. And then you see the dividers that are between. So we have the stretching of the heavens. We also have the spreading of the earth. This was one of the first of the day three events after the crystalline canopy. There, as I mentioned earlier, it's actually founded upon the waters. So we don't have the, the mantle of the earth, the solid mantle, which underlies the earth. We don't have the inner core yet. Those are the two events that are the boundary conditions we have for the beginning of the origin of angels. God says in Isaiah 44, 24b, that he stretched out the heavens by himself and that he spread out the earth alone. That word alone is the Hebrew word bad, it's spelled B-A-D, and it actually is the bad, or not good condition of Adam being alone without Eve in Genesis chapter 2. That would imply to me that God himself, the Trinity, had no audience at all on days one and day two, and not really until the laying of the foundations of the earth on day three. If that is true, then that means that angels have to are sandwiched between two different three-day events, because Job 38, verse 7, says that all the sons of God sang together, and the morning stars basically shouted for joy there when God laid the foundations of the earth. So angels were present when God laid the foundations of the earth, but angels were not present, apparently, when God spread out the heavens and stretched out the heavens and spread out the earth. Here we have angels in pigeonholes between three different day three events, the spreading of the earth and the laying of the foundations. When I was uh, teaching secondary science to 12th graders, I had them give me Internet answers to the question, when were angels created? Mm. And we can find eight or nine different answers. Every single day of creation week is included on the Internet. Mm. And obviously there's only one biblical answer Mm. to that question. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 talks about in the day that they were created, angels were created. It doesn't say days, it just says day, singular. And I believe from the top-down construction pattern, we can, we can pigeonhole it to day three. Right, wow. Well, the title of the book, The Scriptural Universe Model. Give us a call to get your own copy of this truly amazing book, 1-800-652-1144. Thank you once again, David. Thank you so much, Pastor Larry. Thank you, gentlemen. The complete two-day conversation with David Bassett is available on CD when you call 1-800-652-1144. The first three literal days of Creation Week were marked by God's sequential and systematic top-down construction of the cosmos. It all adds up to reveal the SUM, the S-U-M, the Scriptural Universe Model. The Scriptural Universe Model, a Christian commentary on creation's construction by David Bassett, is a brand new book that gives all the details. Order your copy today, 1-800-652-1144. You can also order online, swrc.com. Micah Van Hus, author of The Earth As It Was, is here to look at a mystery found in the Bible. It has to do with a celestial argument about the body of Moses. God's Word is awesome. It's full of 
awesome mysteries. Christ is the central point of the Bible, the central focus of history, and it is the most important thing that a Christian can study. It is important that every single person on this planet comes to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Here at Marginal Mysteries, we like to study the mysteries of the Bible. Now, don't ever lose focus that Christ is the central point of it all. Now, we do believe that if God chose to write it down in his word, then it is worthy of study should you choose to do so. Today, we are going to take a look at a fascinating piece of scripture that gives us some insight into the souls of mankind as it relates to the spiritual realm. Few men have been as important to the story of God's chosen people as Moses is. Moses was God's instrument in delivering the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery in the 15th century BC. Though a great man and one of the few humans to converse with God, Moses wasn't without sin. Now, there is much speculation about what his specific sin was at Meribah. If you remember, he was commanded to speak to the rock and water would come out. Instead, he struck it with his staff. So we don't know what the specific sin committed at Meribah was. We can speculate, but it's not clear. The point is that he sinned, and God says that he sinned. Now, because of this sin, Moses wasn't allowed into the promised land, thus causing him and the people of Israel to wander the desert for 40 years until Moses' death. Moses died at 120 years old. From 0 to 40, he was raised in Egypt. From 40 to 80, he lived a life out in the wilderness of a farmer. And then the last 40 years of his life, he led the children of Israel in circles around the wilderness. So scripture tells us that Mount Nebo is where the Lord showed Moses the promised land at the end of his life. Let's read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 1 and 4. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab unto the mountain of Nebo to the top of Pisgah, that is, over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan. And the Lord said unto him, This is the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed. I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over thither. Now, somewhere in a valley at Mount Nebo, the body of Moses is buried. Let's read about that in Deuteronomy 34, 5 and 6. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, over against Beth Peor. But no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. Now this is the only time in Scripture that the Lord himself buries a human. I speculate that the Lord did this to keep the location a secret from mankind. The Lord knew that the Israelites would likely build a shrine, and over the years, they would likely turn Moses' shrine into an idol to be worshipped. Now, Moses is buried, but his story doesn't end with his burial. In the New Testament book of Jude, we find a fascinating verse where Michael the archangel and Satan argue over the body of Moses. The verse before doesn't talk about it. The verse after doesn't talk about it. This is a single verse that just kind of comes out of left field and it leaves us with a lot of questions. So let's take a look at that verse, Jude chapter 1, verse 9. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord 
rebuke thee. Now here, Jude is likely quoting from the apocryphal book, The Assumption of Moses. The book is lost to us, but Origen, a third century Christian scholar, records that it expounded upon the story mentioned here in Jude. Now, we see more instances of Satan attempting to claim people or their souls in Scripture. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1, 2, and 3 reads, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord hath that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua is clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. So this time it's not just Satan and an angel, likely Michael, arguing over a human, but God is there too. They appear to be arguing over who the person belongs to, God or Satan. In Revelation, Satan is the great accuser. He stands before God accusing the brethren day and night. Let's read about that in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So Revelation chapter 12 gives us a bit more information about Satan and his role before being cast out, where he accused people, and then Mike would argue with him in front of God. These three places in Scripture give us some insight into the spiritual realm and the struggle for the human soul. Twice recorded in Scripture, Moses sinned, so why were Michael and Satan arguing over him? Well, the first time Moses sinned, that is recorded in Scripture, that the Egyptian slaver, Moses killed him because he was whipping an Israelite slave. Now, the second time Moses is mentioned as sinning in Scripture is when he struck the rock at Meribah. So also notice in this passage that Michael, the archangel, says, the Lord rebuke you. Michael is wise here, wise enough to not rebuke Satan out of his own power, but of God's power. Now, that's a good lesson for us. So this story that we read about Michael and Satan arguing over the body of Moses raised some very interesting questions. Why were Moses and Joshua's bodies important to spiritual beings? Is it truly their physical bodies, or is it their souls that we're talking about here? Why is Satan standing at the right hand of God? So this process seems like some sort of a judgment. Are all of God's children judged this way at one point, or is it reserved for certain of us? Questions that will likely be answered in the next life. So if you want to take a look at this mystery and many others, feel free to take a look at my latest book, The Earth As It Was, where we study about the earth as it was before the flood of Noah. We also get into angels and different things in the spiritual realm. Feel free to check us out at Marginal Mysteries. At Marginal Mysteries, we take a look at God's awesome creation, and we are not afraid to ask questions about every bit of it. The Scriptural Universe Model, a Christian commentary on creation's construction, David Bassett's brand new book gives all the details of God's sequential and systematic top-down construction of the cosmos. Order your copy today, 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. 
Tomorrow's staff evangelist Josh Davis will share how to overcome the trap of the guilt trip Jesus. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for over 90 years by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. Yeah.